Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 3, how the devil used a snake to seek and destroy Adam and Eve, and the nine facts that make snakes so destructive and instructive for us as Christians. You can always download this message for free or listen to it at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or search for Friendship with God on iTunes by searching for the Friendship with God podcast. Now, we have several teachings to offer you as our resource of the month. From Tom Cantor, as our amazing Bible teacher, he's got small pocket-sized tracts and teachings to help you grow in your faith and with your prayer life and with your witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these resources we're offering are entitled, How a Jew Came to Learn the Meaning of Isaiah 53, How to Pray for the Lost, How to Pray for the Saints, and What Kind of Love is God's Love. These written resources from Tom Cantor will teach you valuable yet simple Christian lessons. All of these teaching resources are yours for a donation of $10 or more to the Friendship with God radio program. So call us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Now here's our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, Tom Cantor, teaching us today on Genesis chapter 3 and how the devil used a snake to seek and destroy Adam and Eve and the nine facts that make snakes so destructive and instructive for us as Christians. Verse 7, 23, verse 7. He took up his parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, hath brought me, this is Balaam speaking, hath brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob. Come, defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? How shall I defy whom God hath not defied? For from the tops of the hills I see him. From the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone, shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous. Let my last end be like his. And Balak said unto Balaam, what hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast altogether thus blessed them altogether. And he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? And Balak said unto him, Come, I pray thee, with me unto another place from whence thou mayest see them, but the utmost part of them, and shall not see them all. And curse me them from thence. And he brought him into the field of Zophin to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars, offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. And he said unto Balak, Stand here by thy burnt offering while I meet the Lord yonder. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go again unto Balak and say thus. And when he came unto behold, he stood by his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said unto him, What hath the Lord spoken? And he took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear, hearken unto me, thou son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent for what he said. And shall he not do it? And hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless. That's important. I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord is his God with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What hath God wrought? Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion. He shall not lie down until they eat of the prey and drink of the blood of the slain. And Balak said unto Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. 
All right. Now, Balak, the king of Moab, has hired Balaam, the pro- his prophet, to curse Israel. And Balaam wanted to curse Israel. He wanted to curse the Jewish people, and he tried very hard to do it. But he couldn't do it. Why? Because God wouldn't allow him to do it. God would not allow him to curse Israel. In fact, he said, I got a commandment. God's blessing Israel. And so he had to bless them. And he said in verse 8, inasmuch as I want to curse Israel, he said, how shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? And how shall I defy whom God hath not defied? So now you turn, drop down to chapter 24, Numbers 24, verse 25. And it says, and Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place. And Balak also went to his place. So it looks like Balaam and Balak gave up. They said, well, how can we do what God doesn't want to do? We better give up. We better go home. And that's what it looks like. Because they couldn't destroy Israel with curses. But not so fast. Because the next verse in chapter 25, Numbers 25, verse 1 through 3, says this. Israel abode in Shittim. And the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called, that'd be the daughters, and they called the people unto the sacrifices of their God, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal the idol, the false god. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So it looked like Balaam was out of business with destroying the Jewish people because he couldn't curse them directly. But we see he wasn't out of business at all. What did he do? He had a strategy. He had a strategy. Turn to Revelation 2.14. You get a description of what the strategy was here. Revelation 2.14. And he says, I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. There's a doctrine of Balaam. What is it? Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit whoredom, fornication. So here he is. So Balak has hired Balaam to curse Israel. He couldn't do it. And so what does he do? He teaches them to, you know, here's Israel. They're walking along, and all of a sudden they just stumble. And what was it? It was sexual sins. He taught, Balaam taught Balak, you go get the most seductive Moabitess women that you can find, and you put them on a mission. You put them on a mission to first sexually hook those Jewish men, hook them, and then you have them do the Delilah routine. You bring them, you get them, says, well, if you're one with me, you need to come into my temple and my religion, and you eat these things that are sacrificed to the idols, and you bow down to them. That's what he did. And what was the end result? We already saw it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Well, Satan is like Balaam, Balak. He's like Balaam here. Adam and Eve are like the Jewish people. Satan could not get God to curse Adam and Eve. Why? Because we already read in Genesis 1.28, it says, and God blessed them. So he didn't curse them, he blessed them. So what did he do? The same thing that Balaam did here. Get him to sin. Get him to violate. Remember the first principle, don't make God mad. Get him to make God mad. Now, 
Turn back to Genesis 3. All right, so, so here we go. So now this is the way it is. So that we read the devil is using a snake to seek to destroy Adam and Eve. That's interesting. You know, what is it about snakes? The snakes are very interesting, very instructive here. Where do you find snakes living? Where do they like to live, snakes? Yeah, under rocks, under moist, damp, moldy places. That's where you find snakes. So if you like those kind of places, you better be careful of snakes. Under rotting tree stumps, you know, and, and damp rocks, you know, unclean places, unclean places. Satan, it talks about in Revelation, a place where Satan dwells. It makes reference of where Satan dwelleth. That's a, that's a place of uncleanness. It says in Romans one twenty four that God gives up some who are so bent on it to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. It says in Romans 6.19 that we had yielded ourselves, we did at one time, yielded our members, servants to uncleanness. And then Paul says, so now yield yourself, your members, servants of righteousness to holiness. And in 2 Corinthians 12.21, it speaks about those who have not repented of their uncleanness, repented of their uncleanness. And it further goes on and explains in Colossians 3.15 that our response to uncleanness and the uncleanness of our hearts, which is natural for us because we're sinners by birth, is to mortify them, put them to death. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, it says. Because in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, it speaks about our calling, and it says, God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Now, it's interesting the strategy that snakes use. The strategy that snakes use. What, kind of, what strategy does a snake use? Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8 for the strategy of a snake. This is speaking about the devil, and it says in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. See? Seeking whom he may devour. You get the picture? He's walking about and he's looking for his opportunity. He's seeking his, his, whom he may devour. Who is going to give him an opportunity and he can then move in to devour. Look at Proverbs 7. Proverbs 7, verse 4 through 13 on the strategy of the devil. Proverbs 7, 4 through 13. Here is a very instructive passage because it's telling to men, all men, and it's saying here, say unto wisdom, thou art my sister. Wisdom, familiarity. And call understanding thy kinswoman. Thy kinswoman. It's wonderful. Do you all have family here? A lot of people in California, they don't have family because they leave family. But anyway, we went back to Ohio last week and we were with family. You know, and you know, he comes and says, this is your family. And oh, good. You know, you, this is something special when someone says it's your family. It's your kinswoman. He says, say this about understanding. Say it's about sister. Call it wisdom your sister. I still remember the time I was raised by May, May and Beulah, both uh, very large, especially Beulah. Anyway, very large African-American ladies. And they were like my mother's. 
in, in Los Angeles because my parents were divorced and they were the intercessors anyway. So I was more time there many times in my own house. And so our little kids, our little boys, had never met May and Beulah. And May took care of the general who lived across the street from Jack Benny. And the general died and gave her a lot of money. So every year May bought a new Cadillac, big Cadillac, you know, to drive with the top down. And so they came to visit us, and we were out there in Lakeside one time, and they drove this Cadillac down this dirt road, and they parked down at the bottom of the road. So they're walking up the driveway, and me and Cheryl and Joseph was there, and David was there, and, and May was walking up there, and she goes, Oh, Tommy, Tommy, look at this place. This is wonderful, wonderful. Tommy, Tommy. And Beulah saying, No, John, just calm down now, May. Just calm down. And they're walking up this driveway, you know. <laughs> so she just got to go on up. That's the way May was, you know. Well, anyway, our boy, Joseph, many even know Joseph, who is about as white as milk, you know, (laughs) facially, and he is standing next to Cheryl, the top of the driveway, absolutely petrified, and grabbing hold of her skirt, you know, and he's saying, Mom, Mom, he said, are these people related to us? (laughs) You know another interesting thing about the snake? They, they camouflage so well, especially if you're been out of the desert and come across a diamondback rattlesnake that blends in perfectly with the ground below. They blend in with the surroundings. You don't even see them until it's too late. Satan has transformed himself into an angel of light, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And we just see him and she just sees him. He sort of sounds like the voice of reason. He sounds like the voice of reason in chapter 3. I mean, let's talk about this. Let's think about this. Let's evaluate this. Maybe we could compare God to other religions. You could say something like that. Maybe there's a better one. Maybe there's one that doesn't have this concept of dying, you will surely die in it. He never identifies as, hello, I'm Satan. I'm the father of death. And if you talk with me, I like to deceive you and inject you with the venom of death. He doesn't do that. So what's God's advice? Proverbs 14, 7. Go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. That was Solomon's advice. Prophet Isaiah's advice in Isaiah 8, 20 to the law and the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. Makes it very clear. So, If what they are saying doesn't line up with what God has said, the problem is there's no light inside of them, Isaiah says. Now, another thing about the snake, snakes have very alluring movements. Very alluring movements. You know, when a snake comes, it's kind of like interesting, you know. I mean, the coat with the scales on it and the kind of the shiny, some of them have this iridescent you know, kind of black, orange, especially coral snakes, red, yellow. And when they move, the, the, the colors can kind of like change the iridescence and blend in, you know. And, and that's all designed to entice. That's all designed to, how does that work? That's interesting. Never seen that before. And get closer. What is that? First Timothy 4.1, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. Seducing spirits. Satan can look, oh, he can look like the Delilah of spirits. Lust not after her beauty, Proverbs 6.24, nine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. Now, 
Snakes have a very keen discernment. They can track. It's interesting. They can be totally focused and they can closely track their prey. Have you ever seen that? You know, they have that kind of like that arrow-shaped head. They have heat sensors on, that, on their head there. And they will actually move their head with the movement of their prey. Like if it's a mouse or something like that, they'll move as the mouse goes back and forth and back and forth. They'll train themselves. They study and they wait for their opportunity. You know, that's a picture of Satan. He tracks us. He watches us. He asks the question, where is her Achilles heel? Where is his Achilles heel? And he's a tailor. And so he's ready to tailor just what it takes for a temptation to bring you down. And if lust is your Achilles heel, he will tailor pleasures for your temptation. If pride is your Achilles heel, he will tailor new ideas for you to discover that don't exactly line up with the Bible and with God for your temptation. If emotion is your Achilles heel, he will tell your mother and your father to plead with you to not turn to Jesus Christ because our people never did that before and it would break our hearts even in the grave. He's like a snake, Satan is, and he's tracking and seeing, and he's tailoring, and he chose Eve when he was tracking, and he waited till he was alone when he was tracking, and he tracked and adapted. How could it be? In Proverbs seven twenty six, it says, For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men hath been slain by her. How could that be? that this woman described in Proverbs 7 could cast down many and slay many because the temptress is a tracker. Poison of snakes in their teeth. Right through the center of their teeth. It's interesting. These tubes that carry venom, you know, concealed by the teeth. As a matter of fact, the teeth themselves are concealed. The fangs curve under. Then right through the center of those small teeth are fountains of death. And those venoms there, so deadly, can kill a man. From the mouth, from the mouth, is going to come this deadly venom. Let's just have a little conversation, Eve. A little, little conversation. And you won't see, because they're concealed, the fountains of death that are tracking you. Now, the actual bite of the snake is relatively insignificant. I can't speak from experience, and I hope I never can. But, They don't use those teeth for chewing. They're minuscule, those teeth. We have some of them over at the Creation Museum. Go see them there, skeletons. We have some live ones too, but they're not poisonous, I hope not. Unless we haven't lost any employees lately. So, but they're very, very fine, uh, very, very fine teeth. Extremely sharp, like thin pins. So that the attack itself, it just seems so harmless. It's just nearly painless. Maybe like a mosquito bite. No big deal. I mean, the snake seems to be inflicting just a little, almost like a playful slight injury. The bites are so painless that this darting action, some might even think that they're playing together, be unsuspecting. It didn't seem to Eve to be such a big deal to be talking. Meanwhile, it's so insignificant, she doesn't even realize when the venom has been injected into her, the deadly venom. But it is a deadly venom extremely deadly venom. The venom of the snake has horrible power of destruction as it spreads out 
And it's hidden beneath the skins of the victim. You don't even see it. And it's spreading out and it kills. You know, in our business, we, uh, we use goats to raise antibodies. So we've always had a few hundred goats. As a matter of fact, for 10 years, many of you remember, that we lived surrounded by 300 goats. So we, they were part of our family anyway. <laughs> and I still remember to this day what happened to one of our favorite goats. She was a beauty. She was beautiful. She was a son and pure son and white, beautiful white doe she was. And a rattlesnake crawled into the pen and this goat got curious and she put her head down and the snake bit her. And for three days, we watched our goat writhe in tormenting sickness, swell up, And for three days, our whole family is just engaged in like a vigil watching her. And we tried to do everything to stop it. We used so many vials of anti-rattlesnake venom and antihistamines and cortisones and vitamins and drugs. And then after three days, we lost the battle and she died. And after she died, we called up the county vet and he agreed. And we took her dead carcass down to the vet, county vet down there Kearney Mesa, and because he agreed that he would do a very careful autopsy with us so we could see what happened. So we take this goat's carcass and we lay it up on the dissection table there, and my boys and I, we were all crowded around. Cheryl didn't want to see this, so she was just the boys and I all crowded around. And the vet starts to cut, and he starts to carefully peel back the skin. And as he peeled back the skin, a story that we had no idea was happening began to also unfold in front of us. Because healthy goat tissue is normally nice and pink and firm. But what the vet peeled back, with that beautiful white coat, as he peeled it back, was small pockets of black liquid. And the dying cells that have turned this deep purple and and, and black. It was, it was awful. And we followed this course of this color because it was almost like a river and it expanded out from her jaw like a river. It kind of went down. And we followed it back to where it started and carefully dissected the skin. And by holding, stretching the skin and holding up the light, he could say, you see that? Those are the tiny pinholes of the entrance of the venom. That's where she was bit, in the neck. And, and we felt like saying to the goat, how could you do that? <laughs> we felt like saying, don't you, why did you leave the snake alone? And did you have to go try to look at the snake? But that's how sin is. It was such a, such a lesson to us. Because when it strikes, it seems so insignificant but yet it grows. And the victim has no idea until he's been, that he's been fatally injected with the poison of no longer believing God, with the poison of thinking sin is better than God and his holiness. And so it says in Proverbs 7, 21 through 27, with her much fair speech, She caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till a dart strike through his liver. 
as a bird hasteth this near. And here's the important phrase, and knoweth not that it is for his life. He had no idea. That's why the writer Solomon says, Hearken unto me now, therefore, you children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her path. And as we already read, for she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. May God give us heed to not think that we're immune from falling. To not think that because we are Christians, because we come to church, because we have been raised in a Christian home or we've been believers for so long that we can't fall. Because in 1 Corinthians ten twelve, it's the lesson that comes to, him, to us. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the lessons that we learned this morning from your book. We thank you so much, Lord, that it was never your intention for them to fall and to enter into the death. It's not your intention for us to yield to sin either. Help us, Lord, to learn. Help us to learn to trust you more, cling to you more, listen to you more, and obey you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. We have several resources we're offering. How would you learn the meaning of Isaiah 53? How to pray for the lost? How to pray for the saints? And what kind of love is God's love? All of these resources from Tom Cantor. Yours is our resource of the month, 800-247-3051. Or go online to friendshipwithgod.org to our online bookstore for more of Tom Cantor's resources and materials or 800-247-3051.